So for the past several weeks, we have been studying the book of Acts. Uh, we've seen how Jesus commissioned his apostles, how they were there on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came, and how the church in Jerusalem began to grow like crazy, with people being added to their numbers daily, as Luke tells us in Acts. Of course, as we've seen, the, the expansion of the church was not without its problems. There were external problems, there was external pressure as the religious leaders, the religious authorities of the day were trying to stop this new movement. They were afraid of what it would do, they were afraid that it would take their power, that it would change the status quo, that perhaps it would turn into some sort of rebellion and Rome would come in and would mess up the nice balance they had finally established. There were internal problems as there were evidences of greed and selfishness that were threatening the, the unity of the church. There was uh, growing pains as the church grew, as, as there were people who needed needs met and they were trying to figure out how to just go administer the daily business with, with new people. So, so the church was growing, things were going great, but there were, there were some problems as well. But, but overall, it would seem like things were going pretty successful. From the outside, it looked like things were just going according to plan. There was lots of reason to celebrate. There were all sorts of people who were coming to faith in the city of Jerusalem. But there was still a problem. And I'm going to read you from uh, Jesus's, uh, the, the mission that Jesus gave his disciples. And I want you to see if you can identify what the problem was. Here's what Jesus gave, his, the instructions Jesus gave his apostles. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So looking at Jesus' instructions to his disciples and looking at what we've seen so far, what was the problem? This is audience participation. You can guess. Can anybody tell what the problem? Let me give you a hint. I've, I've highlighted highlighted the problem here. I think I heard it. What was it? Say it again. That's right. The church in Jerusalem was growing like crazy, but when Jesus gave his apostles instructions, he said they're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem. But he didn't stop there. He said. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus' vision for the church was global. The church was remaining local. They were experiencing some success, but there, there's a principle here I want to highlight, and that's this. Success can lead to complacency. Success can lead to complacency. They were experiencing success in Jerusalem, and so there was no drive. There was no need to continue to expand on. Why do something different when you're being successful? This principle is true in lots of areas of life, isn't it? It's, it's true in business. Businesses that experience some level of success sort of become comfortable where they are, and they stop innovating. 
When I was in college, uh, my, one of my business professors told us about a telemarketing company, a, a, a communication company that had sort of cornered the market on landline telephones. They were, they were really successful on landline telephones. And all of a sudden, there's hints of this new technology about these, these phones that you can carry with you that aren't attached to a cord. And you can sort of talk to somebody anywhere you go. And so the people in this company who have experienced success with landline telephones, they were sort of hesitant to, to reach out into this new market. And so the leaders of the company, thankfully, they were, they were visionary enough to understand that this, these new mobile phones, as they would be called, these new cell phones, were going to be the new normal. And so they established a new company. They had to establish a whole new company for, for mobile phones because they knew that the people who were in the landline business were going to fight against it. Their success had led them to complacency, and they, they would have missed the opportunity. You can probably all think of companies that were, you know, years ago that were at the top of their game, were prime, but because they didn't look and invest in the new opportunities, they sort of became obsolete. Their success led to complacency. This is true in the sports world. You, you see teams who, who experience some success, they start winning, and all of a sudden they sort of take a little bit of break in their training. They stop training. They stop studying their opponents because they have experienced success. And once they do that, the teams who continue to train, the teams who continue to, to watch their opponents and study are the ones who will eventually surpass them. Their success leads to complacency. This is true in relationships. Those of you who have been in a, in a relationship for any length of time know that sometimes, you know, if, if those of you who are married, when you were pursuing the one you were trying to marry, you worked really hard to win their attention, right? You would send flowers and letters and take them out on nice dates, and, and you worked really hard to win their heart. And then all of a sudden, when, when you had finally won, sometimes we have a tendency to, to stop the pursuit, Right? The flowers become less frequent. We send letters less frequently. The, the nice dinners out uh, sort of fall by the wayside. And, and we sometimes have the tendency when we have found some success in a relationship to fall into complacency and, and stop pursuing our partner. Churches do this too. Churches that start to experience success and people start coming in the doors and, and all of a sudden they think that they're doing everything really well and, and their, their drive for mission just sort of fades away because they've experienced some complacency. That's what we see here in the book of Acts with the church in Jerusalem. This is why it's so important for us to clearly define success. This is true in marriage, this is true in sports, this is true in business. To really define what is success, what is a win for us. When it comes to churches, sometimes we think that if the church is growing, if there are more butts in the seat this week than there were last week, then we're being successful. But that's not really a great definition of success. Yes, we want the church to grow, but where the growth is coming from is something we want to pay attention to. Sometimes a new church will start in a city and it will have all of the, the new fancy things. And so Christians from other churches will leave their churches and will come to that church. And the church will think that it's being successful because it has more people than it did last week. But, but there are no new Christians. It's just sort of reorganization. It's not actual growth. Now, it's not a bad thing. You know, if, if a church isn't working for somebody, they need to find a new one. We're glad there are churches with different flavors and, and different services so that people can get their needs met. But... but a Christian leaving one church and going to another church isn't necessarily a win for the kingdom. A win for the kingdom is when somebody who doesn't yet have allegiance to Jesus comes to have allegiance to Jesus and experiences new life in Christ. That's what church growth is really all about. 
So the church in Jerusalem showed no signs of moving, no signs of expansion. From all everything we've seen so far, it looks as though they were just comfortable where they were, doing what they were doing. There's no signs that they were going to do anything to reach out uh, and continue the mission that Jesus gave them. They, they experienced success and they said, you know what? You know, we're, we're, we're happy with what we're doing. We're happy with the success now. And there's no signs that they were going to continue being obedient to the mission. And so in this case, even though they were experiencing wild success in Jerusalem, they were really only 25% obedient to what Jesus had called them to do. It's just sort of weird to think about, right? As successful as they were, they were really only 25% obedient because Jesus told them to be witnesses in Jerusalem but also in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they were only being 25% obedient, even though they were being really successful in that 25%, there was still more for them to do. So we're going to jump back into the book of Acts. We're going to pick up in Acts chapter 7. I'm going to recap a little bit, and then we're going to see what happens next. We left off last week. Uh, The the church was experiencing some growing pains. The the Greek-speaking Jews in the city, the Greek-speaking Jewish Christians were complaining because their widows were being neglected in the food distribution. And so the apostles appointed seven faithful men to oversee this very important work of distributing the food among the widows. And we saw that this, this work was important. It wasn't second nature. It wasn't second class. It wasn't of second importance. It was so important they chose seven very highly qualified people full of the wisdom and spirit, Luke tells us, to oversee this work. So at the end of Acts chapter 6 and the beginning of Acts chapter 7, one of those seven, his name was Stephen, says it was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He comes in conflict with the religious leaders there in Jerusalem. And Acts chapter 6 and after Acts chapter 7 recount this really great sermon that Stephen preached to the religious leaders about how Jesus was the promised Messiah. So your homework for this week, last week your homework was to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to see that no part of the body was any more or less important than anybody else. Your homework this week is to read Acts chapter 7. Read Stephen's sermon to these religious leaders and see how he presents the gospel of Jesus to these Jews. It's a great, great, great sermon, but we're not going to read it today. Instead, I'm going to jump forward to the end of this sermon, and we're going to see how the religious leaders responded to Stephen's sermon. It was not with a standing ovation. Here's what Luke says, Acts chapter 7, verse 57. Luke says, At this they, the religious leaders, covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. I've never had that response to a sermon. I'm kind of glad. (laughs) They don't teach that in seminary. This this is how people might respond to, to you when you're done preaching. But this is how the religious leaders responded to Stephen. Because he had so challenged their worldview. He had so challenged their their comfort and their status quo that they and they thought that he was speaking blasphemous words. So they drag him out of the city and they begin to stone him. And that was um They would literally take rocks. This is how they executed people back then. It was horrible and barbaric. And they would just take rocks and they would throw rocks at somebody until they died. It was a terrible way to go. Uh, And this was the response that Stephen's sermon had among these religious leaders. Meanwhile, Luke tells us, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're going to hear more about him. The story goes on. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed... 
Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Can you imagine? People are hurling rocks at your head after you preach a sermon, and your response is, don't hold this against them? This is obviously a a parallel of Jesus on the cross as he's being nailed to the cross, and he cries out. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Which led me to, this is, this is not the point of the sermon, this could be an entire sermon, but I'm just going to share this observation with you. Oh, it tells us Saul uh, approved of killing him. The, I'm missing a slide here. One of the measures of maturity is how we respond to our enemies. One of the measures of Christian maturity is how we respond to those who mistreat us. Jesus taught his followers in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do good to those who who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. One of the ways we can sort of gauge our Christian maturity is by how we respond to people who mistreat us. Do we respond in the same way? Do we respond with do we respond to insult with insult? Do we respond to uh, anger with anger? Do we respond to hate with hate? Or do we respond to hate with love? And forgiveness and prayer. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Luke tells us Saul approved of their killing him. This man named Saul, we're going to hear more about him. As the story goes on, it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout where? Judea and Samaria. Does that sound familiar? The story continues. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Back then, the church met in houses. So Saul, who was this religious leader, he was a a zealous Pharisee, he was zealous for the law, and he was so upset about this new movement that he thought was speaking blasphemous words against God, that he went from house church to house church, taking out men and women, committing them to prison. He approved of the death of Stephen. He was destroying the church, Luke tells us. This man named Saul. We'll learn more about him in a couple of weeks. What I want to focus on here is uh, verse 4, where Luke tells us that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They were scattered because of persecution to Judea and Samaria, and Luke tells us that they preached the word everywhere they went. So this leads me to an observation. It took a persecution to break them out of their comfort zone and get them on mission. That's that's always really sort of caught my attention. Jesus paints this very clear picture for them. He gives them very clear instructions. There are to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They get stuck in Samaria and it takes a persecution for them to break out of their comfort zone and actually carry out what God had called them to do. 
Now, I don't believe that God caused this persecution. I don't believe that, that God made this persecution happen. But like God often does, God used this to accomplish his purposes. God can do that in our lives with the things that don't seem pleasant, with the things that seem painful and hard and that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. We can trust that God can use these things even for his good. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul tells us that God is at work for the good for those who love him in all things. In all things, God is at work for the good of those who love him. So that tells us that even if we're experiencing hardship, even if we're experiencing trouble, even if we're experiencing suffering, that God can still be at work to accomplish his plan and his purpose for us and for him. But this does, this does get my attention. And it, it, when, I, when I think about it, even when I look at the, at the, the church today, do you, did you know that the church is growing fastest in areas of intense persecution, places like China, places like the Middle East where it, 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 to, to be a Christian is sometimes illegal, can sometimes cost you your life. And it's in places like this that the gospel is spreading like wildfire. The great church father Tertullian has, is quoted as saying something to the effect, this is a paraphrase, but the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church that, that God is able to use persecution to accomplish his purposes. And so sometimes I wonder, you know, we, we often talk about how we're, we're praying for the church in the Middle East and we're praying for the church in China. And I remember reading an interview with a church leader, uh, I believe he was from, from somewhere in the Middle East. And he said, why are you praying for us? We're praying for you. You don't understand what it means. To, to really be on mission. You don't understand what it means for your faith to actually cost you something. Your faith costs you nothing. And, and, and so you, you don't take it as seriously, he, he says about the Christians in America. We can sort of wake up and we can go to church if we choose to and if it's convenient and if there's no snow outside. And for some of these people, they travel days. They risk their lives to gather together with faithful believers and, and, and their commitments shows to the world a few weeks ago we talked about the church in egypt the church in egypt you never know if there's you're going to show up in church if somebody's going to show up with a bomb or a gun and yet they gather every week and they pray and the and the and christians and people are coming to faith in jesus in droves because they see that there's something about these people why would you gather together if you knew that you could be killed there must be something to this faith in jesus and this may not be popular, but sometimes I wonder if we don't need some sort of persecution in America to, to, to wake us up, to help us realize that, that what, what we do here is of, of eternal and lasting significance to, to, to get us on mission. And so I, I have this question I want us to consider. What will it take to get us out of our comfort zone and on mission? As individuals, as a local church, as, as the church in America in general, what will it take for us to, to, to become serious about what God has called us to do? I think for so many of us in America, being a Christian is just one of the things that we do. 
we're, we're, we're a Christian and we're a plumber, or we're a Christian and we're, and we're, you know, we're a school teacher, we're a Christian and we're something else. And it's just, you know, we go to church on Sundays and that's sort of the extent of our, of our faith throughout the week. Maybe we go to a small group, maybe we read the Bible, but, but, but do, we, do we really see ourselves as being on mission? I wonder what would happen if we actually experienced persecution in America. Sometimes we, we think we're being persecuted when, when we, you know, somebody says, oh, you have to make a, a cake or you have to take some pictures. And we claim, oh, we're being persecuted. Religious freedom. We have no idea what persecution is really like. We have no idea what it means to actually suffer for our faith. And I wonder if that's, if that's for good or for bad. I think sometimes we, we, we see our comfort and we consider it a blessing and really it's, it's, it's almost a curse. Because we think that being a Christian is just something that we can do along with everything else. That following Jesus is just sort of one little aspect of our identity. When we look back and we see that, for, at least for some of these people, it, it consumed everything about them. Their entire life was committed to making known the message of Jesus. And, and when persecution arose, they didn't stop. But they, 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 they spread out and God used this to, to continue what he had called them to do. And I often think about this, that the fact that, that we are here, gathered now today in Bloomington, Indiana, in the 21st century. The reason that we're here is because for 2,000 years there have been people who have been willing to give it all up. To leave what was comfortable, to leave what was familiar... And give themselves to the mission. We are beneficiaries of people who are willing to, to lay it all on the line. Who are willing to say, God, whatever you need, wherever you want me to go. And sometimes it took God shaking them. Sometimes it took something to shake them out of their comfort zone. To shake them out of complacency when they were experiencing success. But they were, when they were shaken, they were willing to say, okay, alright, I'm going to go and I'm going to speak. In a few weeks, we're going to look at somebody who had a pretty good life. He was going places. He, he was on track to be a star in his line of work. And he experienced the call of Jesus. And he gave everything up. Because the taste of what Christ had to offer for him was better than anything else in the world. And so I just, I wonder... What would it take? What would shake us out of our comfort zone? And are we willing to pray for that? Are we willing to pray that God would do whatever it takes to shake us out of our comfort zone and get us on mission? That's a scary prayer, folks. That's a scary prayer. But I think about it. If we are the beneficiaries of 2,000 years of people being willing to lay it on the line, who might be waiting for us? Who is counting on us to lay it on the line? Who is counting on us to sacrifice? 
Who's counting on us to, 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 to be shaken out of complacency, to, 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 to share this good news, to invest in the kingdom and with, with all that we have and all that we are? Is it our kids? Is it our grandkids? Is it our neighbors? For some reason... God chose to entrust the mission to people. Sometimes I, I'm like, I, was that really the best idea? I mean, we're, we can be so fickle. We can, we, can be, uh, we can be so selfish. We can be so fearful. I mean, wouldn't it have been better, God, for you to, 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 to entrust the angels to, to be your messengers? Because, you know, they, I mean, they sort of have to, you know, I mean, you know but he didn't. He, he chose us. He chose us, Paul tells us in, in, in Corinthians, in his letter to the Corinthians, to be his ambassadors. He entrusted to us the message and the ministry of reconciliation, of sharing the good news of what God has done through Christ. He, he has entrusted that to us. You may have heard the phrase, he has no hands but our hands. He has no feet but our feet. And so we look around and we say, God, there's so many problems in the world. Why don't you do something? And God looks back at us and he says, I did. I created you. I gave you my spirit. I gave you my word. I gave you this message. I gave you this ministry. I have empowered you. You go do something. Are there areas in our life where we're experiencing little bits of success and we're sort of comfortable? Is our comfort more important to us than seeing people come to experience the life-changing, transformational love of God revealed in Christ? Folks, this is, this, is, this is as convicting for me as it may be for you. I live pretty comfortably. And so, and so I need to pray, God, whatever it takes to shake me out of my comfort zone. God, whatever it takes to, to, to make me passionate about your mission again. What will it take to get us out of our comfort zone and on mission? In a few minutes, we're going to share communion together. Communion is intended to serve as a reminder for us of what it cost God so that we could be gathered here. God so desired to have a relationship with us, John tells us. He loved us so much that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus gave everything, died the most excruciating way possible so that we could be reconciled with our Heavenly Father. And then he, he invites us to partner with Him in helping other people come to experience what so many of us in this room have already experienced.
And I just wonder, are, are, have we become comfortable? Have we become complacent? Have we lost sight of the eternal significance of what we've been called to do? On one hand, that, that's normal, right? We, we look at the very first church in history. The, the ones, the people who, who walked with Jesus face to face on earth. And they became comfortable and complacent, right? So th- this isn't to condemn us. This isn't to, to make us feel bad. I mean, this is, this is the way that it goes. It, our nature is to become complacent and comfortable. Are we willing to pray that God would shake us out of our comfort zone? I believe if we are, we can be a part of God's work that will change our community, that will continue to change the world, that will transform hearts and lives. It's at the top of your bulletin. We really do believe that. I really believe that the, 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 the good news about Jesus Christ has the power to transform hearts, lives, families, and communities. It's happened before. But it only happens when people are willing to, to invest in it. Not, nothing happens without investment. Nothing happens without investment. So, so as, we, as we partake in communion here, I just want you to, to reflect on what it cost God so that we could be here. And I want your silent prayer to yourself to be, God, what more can I do? Not to earn God's favor because you already have it. Not to earn God's love because he already loves you as much as he ever will. But God, what more can I do so that someone else can experience what I've experienced. What more can I do so that somebody else can experience the hope that I wake up with every morning knowing that whatever happens, I have the promise of eternity with you. God, what more can I do so that somebody who, who, who doesn't, <coughs> excuse me, who doesn't know what it means to be truly loved can experience love. God, what can I do To leave a legacy for the future so that people can look back just like we look back and say it was because he gave sacrificially, because she devoted her life to the gospel, because he was willing to step outside his comfort zone. As we take the bread, as we take the cup, I want, you to, I want you to let the cost of that and what it represents, the body and the blood of the Son of God, I want that to inspire us to take one more step, to, to go just a little bit farther, to, to give back just a little bit more. Freely we've received. We didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. Freely we've received. Freely we give. I'm going to invite Mandy up. She's going to sing a song as we partake communion. We're going to do it a little differently today. Uh, I'm going to stand up the front with 
the, the bread and the cup. Uh, you can come forward. You can take the bread. You can take the cup. And you go back to your seat. I want you to just listen to the song that's sung. You can take the bread on your own, drink the cup on your own. I just want this to be a time of personal reflection for you on the cost that it was to God and, and what it's worth to us. And I just want your prayer to be out of a heart of thankfulness. God, what more can I do for you with my life so that somebody else can experience what I've experienced? And I want you to, if you're, if you're ready, because you've got to be careful what you pray for, to pray, God, if I'm, if I'm stuck in my comfort zone, God, shake me out. But don't pray it if you don't mean it. Because God has a way of, of working in our lives. And, and the adventure, if you choose to follow, it can be costly. It can be dangerous. It can be scary. But man, is it rewarding. If you've ever really stepped out, if you've ever really followed God, if you've ever really been a part of, of his work in, in the community because you chose to follow him, it's not always comfortable. Man, is it rewarding. So as you take the bread, as you take the cup, I just want you to, to reflect on that. And if you're ready to pray that prayer. Father, as we gather here, as we study the example of your early church, we see... We see that it's normal to, 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 to fall into complacency. So, Father, I pray that you would shake us out. If there are areas where we are complacent, if there are areas where we've become comfortable, I pray that you would do whatever it takes to shake us out of our comfort and awaken our hearts to your mission. Father, there's still so much work to be done. There are still so many people in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities that, that need to hear about your love for them. And you've chosen to entrust us with the message and the ministry. So Father, as we gather, as we, as we share this meal in remembrance of Jesus, as we, as we take this bread, we remember his broken body. We remember that by his stripes, we experience your healing. As we take the cup, we remember his blood that was shed. We remember that you have given us forgiveness of our sins. Father, may his sacrifice inspire our own. May we be awoken to what it is that you would have us to do as individuals, as a local church, as the body of Christ in America and across the world. I thank you for this in Jesus' name.